0: Um. By the Apostle Paul, it was probably in the, in the mid '60s. Um. The Galatian church is actually one of those churches that converted really quickly and was really effective. Like when they went in in Galatia, and they they pro- set it. The church picked up really good. It it it, it they evangelized very well. Um. One of the reasons why was because there was a bunch of Jewish people in the area. A bunch of Greek-speaking Jews in the area. And so the problem that the Galatians did though is that being, having a lot of Jewish influence they wanted to add the Jewish aspect back in. They really felt natural. I mean, and that happens. Like You get a Catholic who will go to and convert to whatever, like a Church of Christ or a Baptist or whatever. The Catholic will usually feel more comfortable in certain practices, like saying certain prayers or doing certain... Some even, I even know a lady who, 20 years of going to a non-denominational church, she still has a, carries a rosary and, and says the prayer every morning. So some people, it's like, that's what the rosary is. The rosary is for you to comfort yourself in times of stress, in times of need, in times of doubt, In times of anything like that, that really works on your soul. Each one of the beads has a different prayer attached to it. And you just, you say the prayers and it it calms you down. So that's what the, that's what the, um, and that's, so again, but that's the type of thing that when you grow up in that environment, that's what you want to do. And a lot of the Protestant and Reformed churches don't offer anything to really soothe the people. And they're not really, most of them aren't really good at teaching people to pray. They don't really go into prayer very much. Like that, prayer, is that's what it's for, is to help us get our hearts closer to God. It's to work, so we work on ourselves through our prayers so that we can get closer to God and get more in tune with him. Um, but so, and obviously there was issues throughout the whole New Testament when they were doing it of, you know, do we make people get circumcised or not? Do we, you know, what, how, what do you have to do? You know, to to, to become a Christian. And that really pushed on a lot because, you know, Paul was specifically to the Greeks. He really, he would go into the the synagogue, to his synagogues, but he rarely ever had any success. He would then leave and go to the Greeks and the Greeks would convert. So he was the apostle to the Gentiles and... James was the apostle to the Jews, and Peter was in the middle of the two. He kind of went both ways with it. He he would work with one, work with the other. So there was a lot of issues with that. Some of these would do that, where they would start putting themselves. Well, well, we were apostles back when John the Baptist was around. So we think we have more standing in the church than these guys. These guys are new, and he's trying to go. No, it doesn't matter who we were around. You're all Christians. You're all there's no levels. So a lot of that stuff tended to happen in there. And so one of the things you're going to see, and especially in the first chapter and a half, is Paul makes a plea for authority, meaning he starts out in such a way that he's going to make statements that are, they're meant to just so that the people know. Generally in the beginning you say a greeting and then you make a statement so the people know that it's really you. You say something about well, the last time you were there. So they know it's not somebody forging your work. Well, Paul instead is going to take, not just with the, do that work, he's going to include some bragging in with it. Because at the time there was an argument whether he was a legitimate apostle. Because he wasn't one of the original twelve. Yeah. So he needs to sort of put in some stuff to make sure they know that he's legitimate and he's exercising a legitimate authority and even that, he, he, Paul argu- constantly argues that you don't need to worry about the authority as long as you're doing it the right way. You don't need Paul. You don't need a Paulist. You don't need all these other guys as long as you're doing it the right way. But in this case, because he's correcting some errors in the church, he needs to establish himself. So we read in the first couple, chap- couple verses, it says, uh, in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the father who raised him from the dead right off the rip that's that's a jab <laughs> that's a jab at the, some of the people in the church cuz he goes paul an apostle normally just a servant of jesus christ nope not this time he says not of men neither by a man meaning i wasn't ordained by a person but jesus christ and god the father who raised him from the dead meaning he's he's pleading that i'm i, I have authority Two, and all the brethren which are with me, unto the churches of Galatia. And again, this is, he usually went with an entourage. He, most of his time, towards the second half of his life, he had Timothy, Titus, Luke with him. In the early years, he had uh, Barnabas, Silas, and John Mark with him. So he kind of had a couple different groups of people. Three. Three says, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the part where they're supposed to know that that's him because that's his typical opening, that's his typical phrasing. So they, he's, he's identifying his normal self. That's his normal pattern. Now, <clears throat> if... Uh, i are going to read 4 through 10 and because this is basically the whole thing, it breaks down in parts. There's basically 18 points that Paul talks makes during the book. He has an opening, a closing, and 18 points, 20 parts total. We're gonna to try and get through a couple, several of them today. But from four to ten, he's making a point that is there is no such thing as Jew and Greek in the church. It's one gospel. He doesn't preach a different gospel, it's one gospel. So four says, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, other than that which have been preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For I do for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if yet I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So, Very important because literally he says it twice in a row, straight up, that there was one gospel, there isn't two. You can't have one for the Greeks, you can't have one for the Jews, you can't have, I'm not preaching anything different than Jesus Christ himself preached. There is one, and if anybody, and he says it anyway, if it were me, one of my associates, Timothy, Titus, Luke, John, Mark, Barnabas, if it's an angel from heaven, all opens up and he comes down and says anything other than the gospel is Christ died you need to believe on him because he took your sins away don't believe, don't believe him don't believe it if it's anything else so then and he goes he says that let him be accursed you know the word in there the accursed is anathema which this doesn't really make it this isn't as strong a word we say accursed ah Anathema literally means in the Greek, may the earth open up and he drop directly into hell. <laughs> that's what it means. May the earth open and he fall directly to hell. Because he's saying if anybody preaches any other gospel and says that's the way it is, may they go straight to hell. That's, what he, he, that's how he is serious. <laughs> Paul is, He wants them to know he means it. He is upset. He's, uh, that's why he even said that about in 10 where he says, for do I now persuade men or God? He's saying, so when I'm talking, am I trying to convince God or am I just trying to convince you guys who are fallible? He goes, do I seek to please men? Meaning, why would I change something? Why, am I trying to make you guys happy about with my words? No. For if I plea, yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. I mean, if he, if he if he sweetens his words at all to make them palatable to the ears of the people, that's not, and it changes anything Christ said. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So, again, he does that. And just to again, I have a little thing here. If um, Mike, if you'd like to go to the second Corinthians, second chapter, that's actually would be back towards the front just like a couple pages in your book. Probably going to be yeah, probably going to be 10 pages or so. Second Corinthians. <laughs> so, second Corinthians chapter 2 and it's verse 17. All right, what does it say? For we are not
1: as so many leading the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ.
0: Meaning, right there he's saying that if you read the whole context of it, he's saying, for we are not like most of the people out there, we're not like many, which corrupt the word of God and he says, because, basically he's saying, because they're not sincere. They know they do it. Because he says, but of sincerity, but as of God, meaning as if the words came straight from God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. So we speak, we in Christ. So meaning, he's saying, you know, we, we're accountable. A preacher's accountable to God. They're, this is one thing, and I've talked to a couple preachers before, because I've heard them say things that I'm like, dude, I know you're trying to get people in the church, but you gotta really watch out. You're dangerously treading into weird spots here. And if you, as a shepherd, as a as a preacher, as a deacon, you're a position from God that's appointed. If you've been a deacon, that means God that's God wants you to be that deacon, even if it was just for one term for some reason. If you do something during that time. You answer especially to God. There's no extra special gifts you're going to get. You're going to get just everybody else. The highest is considered the least. So you're not going to get anything extra special for doing your job. <laughs> but if you do it wrong, if you lead one sheep, Christ says, I got a hundred sheep. I leave all of them to go find one. And if any one of you would be willing to lead one of these st- sheep astray, My full wrath will be upon you. It would be better for you to be drowned in a river than to lead one sheep astray. And so he's talking to people like me. (laughs) He's talking to preachers who stand behind the pulpit and say the wrong thing knowingly because it it tickles the ear. I
1: thought he always meant everybody.
0: Well, it's everybody, but it's, again, if you you take through Paul when he gives all the charges for the... uh, for the bishops and for the, and the deacons, and again in and Corinthians, and he does it again in, at the end of 1 Corinthians, um, and Timothy, Titus. When he's doing this, he makes sure that they know that this is something that is encouraged. that you, if, if you want to be a bishop, that's a good thing to want. But basically, he's warning them, saying, But with great position comes great responsibility. And he echoes Christ's words continually, and he echo, echoes words in Isaiah. Saying, make sure you say word, don't speak the wrong word. Say what is, because Paul himself even says, again, if you read enough of Paul, you'll notice, especially in Corinthians, we're in Corinthians where he's just laying the hammer down on these people. He tells them, I'm not telling you anything that's new. I'm just telling you what the Old Testament says. That's what he tells them. Everything that I'm telling you is from the Old Testament. It's all in there. I'm not saying, that. I'm, he just make, put it in my terms, but it's all from the Old Testament. And that's what Paul does. Paul quotes constant, like literally every sentence in Galatians. You can almost every one of them go back to Deuteronomy, Numbers, Isaiah. You can just sentence by sentence go where he's taking it from. He basically just took the Old Testament. He knew it so well. Because Paul was. Paul raised to be a Pharisee, meaning he could recite the entire Old Testament from heart, from memory, the entire thing. He, he, he was made for this. So when Christ revealed himself to him, it just clicked in his head. So when he spoke, he spoke the Old Testament as it were the living word of God as Christ. And that's why it was such a he's so passionate about it. And that's why he's so passionate about people perverting it. Because this is Christ. The Old Testament is talking about there's not a book in it that's not talking about Christ. So you can't pervert it. And again, like you said, so he's saying if I change a single word, God, God'll make sure he brings it up. <laughs> to me in the end so we're not, many people will purposely sweeten their words for you I'm not, that's what he's saying I'm not about to, at all Um, this next part that we're going to read is again where he's talking about his call to the apostleship so in essentially this helps us because Paul has a few missing years in his life from the book of Acts, this actually fills a lot of that in, of what he did in the period between like when he was first called to be an apostle when he finally showed up ten years later, what he was doing in that meantime. So starting in verse 11, it says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversion in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father's. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and I returned again unto Damascus. So, he's saying, when I first had my, my conversion experience, he didn't immediately go to people and ask them, okay, tell me what the Christian's about. He went to Arabia, to the middle of the desert, a, a no, no place, and he, can, he communed with God, communed with Jesus. Jesus revealed himself there to him. He spoke with, with him. He spoke with the Holy Spirit, and he learned from, directly from God the revelation that he has. So he is called from Jesus Christ himself. This, again, these are the missing years, because if we were to go to, actually, um, go ahead and um, Patsy, go to Acts um, 8, 1 through 3, and um, Mike, you and I will go to uh, Acts 9. Acts eight, just the first three verses. And this happened. I'll just real quick, the ver- pre- just before this was the killing of Stephen. He's the first martyr. He they they set up seven deacons. Stephen was one of them. They didn't like some of the things he was saying because he was talking against the Jewish people, and so they went ahead and they wanted to stone him. Well, Paul was the one who led that charge. So go ahead. And Saul was consenting unto his death.
1: And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except except the apostles. Apostles. And devout man carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made happen. Yeah, have it. of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women
0: committed them to prison. Alright. So, and So Paul was a bad guy. Paul was so zealous. He was so into it. Back then it was unheard of to put women in prison. Basically, you'd go take the man. Usually he left the woman alone. He'd, he'd put them all. He'd put the women and women, children in chains. He didn't care. He'd put them all in chains and make them, you know, try to get him to say, you know, to renounce Christianity. Um, But he was was in charge of it. I mean, there was nothing beyond him. He was so zealous for the Jewish religion that he was willing to do whatever it took. Um, I want you to read, um, Mike, uh, one through nine. Uh verse nine. nine yeah, one through nine.
1: Then Saul still breathing now mine is the new international or
0: uh the King, Jam- new King James New King James, King James, so oh, it's a little bit different. Yeah, they're a little then bit
1: Saul better. still breathing threats and murder.
0: So you see there, uh, you know, he was just completely, you know, ardent. And then Jesus himself reveals to him and says, you know, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, well, you know, who are you? And he tells him who he is. And then Jesus tells him, you know, is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? That's, that's a horse, you know, or a donkey, or mule. You put it, you know, he's, he's God created him for a reason, to, to go forward, to move forward, to move the church. Well, now he's persecuting the church, so he's bucking what what it is. So Paul, at this point, obviously he's Jesus is revealing to Paul a part of his inner self that he's having problems. Clearly, he feels conflicted or something, because he knows that he's working. You know, inside he knows this isn't right, because he's saying, you know, you're you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You need to follow, you know, what I'm telling you to do. What where I'm where I'm leading you, you need to follow, but you're kicking against it. You don't want to do the right thing. And so, because he symbolically was closing his eyes to Christ, Christ blinded him. He put a scale over his eyes where he couldn't see anyways. And he had nothing to do but to trust in his sight and to be in his own head. That's why he is for the three days and three nights. It's symbolic of the fact that for three days and three nights he was blind. He had nothing but fasting In prayer in his own mind. So he had time, like Christ, when Christ was dead for three days and rose, he could could feel a kinship to the Savior. He could feel what he felt, the darkness, his own thoughts, the emptiness. In his heart, he knew the right thing, but he was kicking against it. Because a lot of times, when you're zealous over something, the last thing you want is for somebody to challenge your preconceived notions. Last thing you want. So... Paul, you know, he he's I feel a lot of kinship to Paul because struggle against it and then finally finally got a win, but he's not afraid to you know knock you down <laughs> for it. And Paul, because of this, Paul had bad eyesight for the rest of his life. He had watery eyes and couldn't see well for the rest of his life. It was something that he and and he says later on that you know he he's cried over and over to God, please take this from me. Now, the apostles had healed. Peter touched him, didn't heal him. Why? Because that was God reminding Paul of what he did. And that he needed something to remind him. There was a time he persecuted me. You need to keep working. That's why Paul says, I keep soldiering on. And I keep running my race to the end. I don't want to give up. Because there was a time I didn't. And I lost a lot of ground. Now I need to work every day like it's my last day. And I need to continue to run my race because I need to do the right thing. And again, the eyes that was the thorn in his side to remind him of his past. That he doesn't get haughty over it. So starting in 10, I'll go ahead and go for the rest of it, because this is, I want to kind of like throw some stuff in. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prays, and, he, and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, answered, Lord I have heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he has an authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for ye, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things must be, must, he must suffer for my name's sake. And Anias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that had appeared unto thee in the way that thou came, has sent me that thou might receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forwith, and he rose and was baptized. So, it took that thing on Damascus, seeing the sight, doing that to, to blind him so that he would have a time to, to search his soul. But then he needed time for the conversion. A lot of us are like that. Not everybody does this thing where you come in, you hear a good message, and then you walk up and get saved. Most people, even those people, if they were really honest, they probably heard something before, or they were questioning, and somebody told them about something. And it was kind of in there. And then they, came, they had to have time for it to stoop. And the work. And like there, um, uh, Wesley, John Wesley said, saved in an instant, regenerated over time. Meaning, the moment you believe, you believe, you're saved. But sometimes it takes a little bit of time to really work its way into your heart. To really work that change, that conversion. So it might happen and you're like, yeah, I believe, but I still question. I still doubt. I still don't know quite. And that's okay. You're allowed to doubt. You are allowed to have doubt. Just having a doubt does not make you not saved. It just means you have a doubt. So saved in an instant, converted over time. So Paul needed time to learn, to think, to convert. And then he needed another person to show him the light. So Ananias, following the word of God, came to him, spoke to him, spoke words that God spoke. The gospel, God's breath. And then touched him, the scales fell, and suddenly he received his sight. So that's a dual thing. He received his actual sight, and for the first time, Paul knew Christ is Lord, received the Holy Spirit. You know he received the Holy Spirit because he was baptized after that. So it's a dual fulfillment. He received his actual sight, and he received his spiritual sight. So again, what happens here is that Paul then goes and says, okay, now, I need time to work on myself. So like that, those missing years, because he basically disappears almost a decade, about seven years or so. And what he did is he went down to Arabia, to a very wasteland, and he lived, and, and he worked over it. He probably worked over the Old Testament, got it all right, got his theology together, because sometimes, and that happens, I, I know people that they get saved and they write a one-way want to go into ministry. Sometimes you need time to let it mature, to let it grow, to figure out all the doctrines and the theology. Because when you're first, yeah, you're zealous, you got fire, but you don't always have the knowledge to back up that fire. So you need, you need to mature and grow and continue to make it uh, work for you. So those are his, Paul's missing years. That you'll see like if you ever get into a debate with somebody about Paul, they'll always have like, well, what are you doing that fourteen years and yeah. that's what he was doing he went to he tells it i mean he he does he, it fills in uh quite right, so from there on, like you said he he actually he says, we'll go back to Galatians chapter one, and uh. He mentions how that you know he neither went up immediately to Jerusalem with them, the apostles before, but he actually went to Arabia and then he returned unto Damascus. Damascus is where he started his mission, basically he started preaching. Um, remembering too that you know, he was a he, he he was a tent maker by trade and he made tents to, to to pay his way. Now he only did that when he was a Christian. When he before that when he was that he was being paid by the government to persecute people. He actually. Had to take a step down. He went from being essentially royalty type, you know, an elite class, to being now he has to work for a living, so that he can support himself. Um, But so overall, uh, Paul went to Jerusalem three times. In his after this, what? I got a dumb question. Damascus, that's the
1: capital of Syria.
0: Capital of Syria to this day. Yep, same Damascus. Yeah, back then, of course, Syria hadn't formed yet like we see it it was it was you know they called it Asia Minor and um it was a part of the Greek um I think it was part of the Seleucid Empire of the Greeks like the Greeks had four generals that took over after Alexander the Great it was in the Seleucid part Damascus actually even though we call it Syria it's in the part that used to be called Assyria rather than just the Syria part um I believe it's kind of there. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, but back then, under Roman leadership, if you had authority, like if you were Greek, you were allowed to go pretty much anywhere in the Greek Isles you wanted, as long as you didn't go to Roman territory. And Paul, being a Roman, he was allowed to go pretty much anywhere in the empire un- unabated. They didn't stop him because well, it was. Be oh, he was born a Roman. He actually was born. Um, his mother was his mother is Jewish. And his father is a Roman. Um, uh, he's originally Roman, then moved out to Tarsus, which is up actually in Syria area. But um, so he was he was born to a Roman mother, uh, a Jewish mother, and a and a Roman father. The reason why you know that too is that's not told directly, but it's assumed because at this time the way you were considered Jewish was through your mother. So if you were born to a Jewish father and a Greek mother, you were Greek. you weren't Jewish. They would not let you call yourself a Jew. So he was called he says, I'm a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. He says that about well, four times. So clearly considered himself Jewish, to be accepted, he was saying he was in the, he was a Pharisee, so they must have accepted his lineage. So that means it was through his mother. Um, and equally as it works out through the grace of God, <laughs> they're the, it says almost as if God meant it that way. Um, his father was a Roman, and that's how you were assume, assumed to be a Roman in their family. The mother didn't matter, the father was the who. So, like, even that, men would go and find young boys, little Greek boys or little Jewish boys, and they'd adopt them. And if you were adopted, they had very strong adoption laws. If you adopted them in, you could even adopt them in as your oldest child. Like, because they had rules about the oldest got more money than the younger's and stuff like that when you died and stuff. If he happened to be older than your oldest children, you could say, this is my oldest son. Adopted him. And they accepted it. Oh, that's his son now. It's the oldest son. So they had very strong adoption rules, but it was all through the father. The mother didn't really matter. The father was the one that was important. So the fact that he was a Roman citizen, and he uses that several times, uh, means that his father was a Roman. So that's how you do it. You, You get it by deducing. It doesn't say it directly. how? But you deduce it down because... You know, in that in that time frame, like I said, the mother was the only way he could be Jewish, and the and the father's the only way he could be Roman. So,
1: if you were Roman, people were afraid, afraid to do anything. I mean, it really gave you
0: a lot of power, didn't it? Right. Yeah, it, it had a lot of power. And then, especially him, in the sense that, you know, I mean, he was working for the government. I mean, he was going around killing people for the government. So evidently, they must have trusted him, even though he was a Jewish Pharisee. They wrote him a rite of passage and said, "Here, you can go anywhere in the in the place and kill anybody you want." Evidently, he must have trusted him. You know, he must have really did. Um, And, yeah, and again, those are things that, see, sometimes people will just throw these things out. Oh, he was a Roman citizen. And they don't explain it because we're sitting here 2,000 years after the fact. And this stuff has all been thought out by the former people, you know. There's other reformers and Martin Luther and Calvin. All these people thought about this, Augustine. So we just say, oh, of course, everyone knows he was Roman. Um, you know, how? Well, that, you know, that, 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 so those are good questions and stuff like that. Those, those are definitely good questions to ask. And, yeah, and especially, uh, oddly enough, though, you know how you determine who somebody was, though, based upon, because they say the nations. Go out and teach the nations. The Greek word for nation is ethnos, ethnicity. What they determined your ethnicity by was what language you spoke naturally. So, if you spoke Aramaic or Hebrew, or what's called Mishnah Hebrew, you were Jewish. They considered you Jew. Like now, they considered you a Judean. The Jews wouldn't accept you, but the Romans would call you Judean, um, meaning you came from that area. Um, same thing: the Syrians and all of them—they were considered Greeks. Why? Because they spoke Greek. But that was their ethnicity. That's actually how they determined it. Wasn't white, black, whatever. If a black man was speaking Greek, perfect Greek, they'd say, yep, he's great. They, they didn't care about, it wasn't skin color, it had do with that it was what you spoke. And so that's even in Acts. You'll notice at one point they're getting ready to kill, you know, uh, um, Paul. And he says, and it says, he spoke to him and said, I'm a Roman citizen. And they immediately were afraid and, walked, and, and let him go. Why would some centurion just... Take someone's word for it. Because he was speaking Latin. He was speaking a very high f- classic form of Latin that was only taught to people from the nobles. So when he began to suddenly speak in Latin, because he's Greek, they were probably speaking Greek. In the city, the Romans and treating grabs him, speaks Greek to him. Get, you know, get out over here. We're gonna kill you. And then all of a sudden he starts speaking Latin to him. In perfect form, perfect classical Latin to him. And immediately he knew, well, this guy must have been trained in some of the best schools in Rome. Because that's the only person who would know this. So immediately he was like, Oh, I'm sorry, you know, go on your way, Paul. Yeah, like that. Because again, language, believe it or not, it was not race, it wasn't color, it was nothing like that. It was based upon what language you spoke. That's how you did it. They really didn't care about your skin color much back then, odd as it is. <laughs> me, you know They were ahead of it. They were. I mean, it was weird. They're, it's weird how that works. We actually were there, too. We've only cared about race for the last, like, 400 years, man. I mean, you think about it. The only reason why we even have the word race currently is because Darwin and those guys like that, they were racist. They, the reason why they say we came from monkeys is because they said black people look like monkeys to them, and so they're less evolved. And so we're superior because we're white and more evolved. They're black and less evolved. So they're monkeys. We came from monkeys. We can treat them like crap. That's basically what they said. It, they were racist. They're some of the most racist people you ever meet. And that spurned the whole last 150 years of dealing with that. All because they said they decided that black people looked like monkeys to them. And they were going to be racist about it. And now all of a sudden, academia picked that up and started writing books, claiming, yeah. If you look at a black person, you're looking at a primate. I mean, there's books. You can go back 1901, book written in, in it was in print by Princeton University, that literally showed, shows a tree coming up and shows an orangutan, the orange family, a chimp, a monkey, and a black Man. Yeah. Like that. They're they're all pre-primates. So science has always been racist. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So, yeah, that's been, unfortunately, though, there were people that did accept racism into the church. And so it, it has permeated. Um, every, it's one of those things I always tell people. Are there bad black guys? Yeah, they are bad white guys. they are bad Jewish people, bad Greek people. Everybody, we all got our bad part. Yep. And you might be a good person, but you got your faults. <laughs> you know, You know, there are people that I like to hang out with. I think they're great people, but they got their faults. Yeah. Everyone's got their faults. So... We're all people. God made us equally in his image, and God likes variety. We know that because go, go look at a sloth. There's like five types of sloth in the world. Well, if God made five different sloths, why wouldn't he make a multiple colored people? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. it makes complete sense to me. Okay, so this is going to be our last point for the night, and we're going to finish up this chapter. Um, and that is that Paul goes back and forth between Jerusalem and other places, but he really didn't engage with the rest of the church a lot. He really didn't. And the main reason for that is because they were very Jewish. They really pushed a lot of the Jewish concepts. They really pushed a lot of, of, um, of you know the conversion. Basically, basically, when they first started, James and, and, and Peter were making people convert to Judaism and then convert to Christianity. Meaning you had to go through a couple of different rituals, a couple of different cleaning sacrifice, cleaning rituals, be circumcised, and then come in. And then you could be a Christian. Who was it? James? James and Peter. May, Peter not so much, but James was. Peter was always kind of on the fence with it. And in fact, even that, Peter has a, a revelation. and. This isn't James... Um. Actually, it was yeah, it was, James. yeah. Because James, Jesus's brother, was a Pharisee also. He was a Pharisee, so he knew all of his traditions, and he probably liked them. They probably made him feel good. You know, he knew his prayers. He knew all of his stuff, and he he really strongly. It's the same thing we have today. We have today the you ever hear the Hebrew roots movement? People saying we need to get back to more of the Jewishness of the original apostles, and they want to bring certain things in like in. Pentecost, they'd like to, that's also called the Feast of Shavuot. Um, what, what, where did
1: Pentecost start at?
0: Pentecost is, it stands for, it's uh, 50 days after they left Egypt was when Moses got the uh, tablets, the Ten Commandments on the Mount.
1: Pentecost is 50
0: days. It's a 50 days, and it's Penta, yeah, 50 days. Um, and so it's celebrating the giving of the law, the, 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 the receiving of the law on, on, uh, by Moses. So they left Egypt. There's about a 10-day period where they had the issue and the, all that. The moment they actually made it in out of Egypt, then they're about, it was like 10, 20 days later, Moses went into the mountain. He's up there for 30 days. He came back, and he came down on the 50th day with the, the law. So it's the giving of the law is what it's celebrating, which is also the reason why if you go to Acts 1, that's why if you think about it, the Holy Spirit came on what day? Pentecost. Because what does the spirit do? It's the law laid in our hearts. So, just as in Old Testament they were released from the bondage of Egypt, and spirit and God came down and revealed the law to Moses and came upon Moses as a fire. So did in Acts one, when they were praying on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down like a fire, came upon the disciples and delivered the law into our hearts. So it's the second giving of the law. It's the second covenant being fulfilled. So they're symbolic of each other. So Pentecost was, and it was, it's very important. I mean, Paul actually fought, continued to observe Pentecost. He, in uh, Acts uh, 21, in Acts 21, well, yeah, 21, he says, um, 20 through 21, he's talking about how he's doing this and doing that. Then he goes, I have to get back to, to Jerusalem because, for Pentecost. And he goes back to Jerusalem for Pentecost because it was, and obviously he was. It was a big party. It was, I mean, really it was. People came from everywhere to to have to do this. But it was also a very big time for evangelizing because you know Peter and them and they go on the streets and just start preaching and people convert by right? the thousands. So um, it was very big. I mean, just millions of people would descend on Jerusalem. A million people would just, and they could all kinds of stuff. So. um But, and again, when I say the thing about the Jewishness, it's not true Judaism. Because again, I'd gone before about it, you know, they added stuff, the washings of pots and pans, the washing of cups, the extra washings of hands and stuff like that. They added all these extra things to it. And so when they're referring to you know, being like the Jews or something, or following the custom of the Jews, they're talking about that other stuff. that doesn't really mean anything. They're not talking about necessarily sacrifices. They're not necessarily talking about Torah and stuff, the laws. They're, they're talking about all that extra stuff, the other burden that was put on. That's what they're really talking about. And the reason why, and that's, that's later on, but in the next chapter he gets into it, but just as a foreshadow to it, that's the reason why when Peter, he says that, you know, when I went and saw Peter, And Peter came to me, he goes, I told Peter to his face that he was wrong because he was living, he was telling people they need to become Jewish and act like the Jews, but he was living like a Greek. And he really was. Peter had an experience where Christ, he had his vision, Christ had a sheet come down, there was all these animals on it, and he said, don't, to Peter, he said, don't act like there's a Jew and there's a Greek and some people are clean and some people are dirty. All of them are my children. The, The message goes to all of them. Peter's like, yeah, absolutely. And so he goes and starts eating with a, a, a Greek person the very next thing, That's, that's the reason why. It's because he wanted him to go to this Greek centurion's house. He wouldn't go because he's Jewish and he's Greek. He thought he was dirty. After that happens, right after that happens, James sent some of the other apostles, the disciples, to talk to Peter. And Peter went right back into telling people, no, 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 you have to act Jewish. Even though he just got done with that vision and just got done eating with a, a Gentile, he tells them right away, nope, you gotta act Jewish. <laughs> I mean, because if you, you follow acts, Acts is a great book. If you read it like a just a novel and read what they're doing, it's amazing to see some of the terms. Peter was not, he was very hesitant to give up those rituals. So, like I said, so and, and Paul calls him on it, he goes, Listen, you're not following all the extra ordinances, you're not doing extra washings. Yeah, sure, we're we're going to the feasts and we're following basic Jewish customs that are in the Torah but we're not doing all this extra stuff. why are you telling the people they need to do things you know they need to wash and they need to why are you telling them they need circumcision they don't need circumcision you know there's no difference you can be circumcised and he, does, he uses the term you can be circumcised into flesh but if you if you don't follow the laws then you're not circumcised in your heart so what's it matter? What's the flesh profit nothing. So, again, foreshadowing to the next, there's going to be a major issue with it. But so basically, again, the first time Paul, Paul goes to Jerusalem is after about, you know, he, went, he did that, he went to Arabia, went to Damascus, then he went and preached for a while, and then he came down in. Down in. He, only saw two, he only saw a couple people, you know, James, brother of Christ, uh, Peter, Peter. Um, he calls him Cephas, which means the rock in Greek. Um, because Peter is actually a Latin name. Um, he came again another time. You know. And this is I can give you, the, if you're going to with chapter 9 he goes one time, chapter 15 he goes a second time, and chapter 21 he goes a third time. So three times he's listed in the Bible as going to Jerusalem. We know he probably went more than that just because. But he didn't go to Jerusalem a lot. And the main reason is because he had problems. He really didn't want them Judaizing the Greeks, so he stayed away. So we're going to read uh, from 18 through the end of the chapter. So when I read this, I just want you to consider that, to have that in your mind when he talks about what he's doing. I'm going to start in 17. Neither went up I to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles, I saw none, save James, the Lord's brother. See, the reason why he does that, he separates that out is because James wasn't really an apostle. He wasn't a disciple. There was a different James. It was James and John were brothers. It's a different James. But when he went there, he saw Peter, and he saw the Lord's brother, who was also named James. But he didn't see the other ten. Now, the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the region of Syria and Sicilia, and and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. So, He's saying that, listen, you know, I purposely didn't really go. I purposely didn't see him because I didn't want to scare him. I didn't want him to think that I was trying to make it in and destroy them. He saw Peter. He saw James, the brother of Christ. But then he went right back out and started preaching. Because he figured, a lot like James says, in the book of James, where he says, some people say I'm a Christian. And you say, okay. Other people, you know they're a Christian because you can see it in what they do. So this is Paul telling the Galatians, the reason why I wasn't in Jerusalem, I wasn't being counted among the apostles in Jerusalem, is because I didn't go there much. I spent my time going out and planting churches and getting people saved. That way, they would know through my actions that I was sincere. They, they wouldn't have to worry, oh, is he just trying to get inside with us? No, he's, he's out planting churches. He's doing the hard work. He's building these things up. So he says that, and he goes, and then when they did hear that the one who once almost destroyed the church is now building the church, they glorified God through him, meaning they thanked God for his presence, and they realized, the apostles realized, and this is in the 15th chapter of Acts, where they, they realized, he's got it, he's doing it, he's the one bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And from that point on, that's when the other disciples disperse. Thomas goes to India... Matthew goes to um, uh, Libya. They all move across, and they start infiltrating the whole world after that. But it wasn't until Paul came back, and, and, and they realized he's preaching the gospel, he's saving Greeks, and he's doing it without converting them to Judaism first. He's just telling them the good news of Christ, and they are getting saved. And he's planting churches. And that's what caused the spurt dispersing. And that's why that made it in here is because Paul is, again, he, this whole first chapter, Paul is exercising to the Galatians saying, you guys are saying because I wasn't one of the first 12 that I have no authority. This is why you can trust what I said. It's because all of this that, you know, I once did do the wrong thing, but I saw the light. I once did, you know, work against and destroy, but the Holy Spirit is in me now. You know, I went from destroying the church to building the church, and the apostles approved and he counted me Christ as one too. of them. Right, he saw Christ. So he's using this, and this is all building for the rest of the book because this is laying a firm foundation to where he can now, for the rest of the book, say, you know, when I was building churches, this is what I preached. This is how I taught. This is what I did. And he laid that foundation first. And all these things he's telling them, he's telling them so they can check it. They can, he's telling them check me. Ask somebody, you know, you remember what Paul did? You remember this? Too? And there were people still alive who knew it. So you can second guess him and you can see that it's true. So this is Paul establishing what he was, what he did, why he's an apostle, why you can trust him, you know, and that everything he's going to say after this, he's not speaking on behalf of himself. He is speaking the words of God, using the Old Testament as his guide, and the Holy Spirit as his interpreter, essentially. And he's, everything he speaks is truth to the best that he can do it. So that lays our foundation. Next week, when we start, we're gonna start in the second chapter. And we're gonna go from there. And we're gonna end the second chapter is one of the best defenses for why the gospel is all you need. The gospel is it. It's all you need. You don't have to worry about it. Anything else. And especially like with some of the people doing the Hebrew roots movement, where I agree with them in a way. Because I think the Old Testament, if you wanted to follow the Levitical laws and you followed them, okay, you'd probably live a really good life. You'd be able to live a very clean life. You'd probably be very healthy. <laughs> you'd be. It would, you would live a very good life. And so I tell people, you want to live that way, live that way. I mean, it, if you're following the laws, as long as you're just following so you can live a holier life and existence that's cleaner and you're trying to just be the best person you can be, not fine. More. Right. Right. And it's Keep no work. Of it, yeah. yeah, you're not, no works in it. You're trusting in God, Christ alone for your, your salvation. Yeah. You're just living that way because you think it's a good way to live. I mean, there's people who are vegetarians already. There's people who don't eat dairy already. There's people who are allergic to dairy, so they don't need it. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you know. And there's people who are incredibly clean people. They wash their hands continually. They don't. If you're living that way, great. You know, if you're doing the things, great. It's not neat as long as you're not considering that as a part of your salvation. So all of that's fine. And again, that's the same thing with the, with with the Hebrew roots thing is. You have, to get, you have to be careful because they tend to demote Christ from being God to just being Christ in the sense that he's an important figure sent by God. So this is where the gospel needs to be for people who want to Judaize, add extra things to it. The next verse, the next chapter is really going to go, and it's a good thing if you, if you learn it, memorize how he does it, how he kind of defends it. It's a great template to use for defending. It's basically the way I defend it. <laughs> way, I tell people all the time, somebody say, well, if you don't do the right thing, you'll lose your salvation. I said, if your salvation was possible to be lost, you'd lose it already. Because <laughs> if you could lose it, you would. Yeah. You, you're not that good. I'm not that good. If I could lose my salvation, I'd have been gone yesterday. So, so, yeah, it's, like I said, it is a great template for... So the second chapter we're going to do next week. It has a couple different points to it. And we're just going to, you know, continue on through the book of Galatians. And hopefully it'll be a very good... It's a tool that as we go out and talk to people, it'll help further our understanding and our ability to hold our own to, when, when, when we're confronted with questions. So, okay, we'll pray and then we will be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I just uh, thank you for the for the word that um, here on a Wednesday we can really dig deep into it and just really get below just the initial the initial words, and we can flesh it out and see how it connects, and the whole thing backs itself up. There's no no contradictions. It's all true, and it all works, and, and we really can get this in our hearts to where we we can know that that your words are true, the gospel's true, and that you'll never leave us or forsake us. We ask for all these things, that you'll watch these people as they go out throughout their day, go out through the rest of the week, and that we'll have a great Sunday service coming up. And I do ask all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.